Welcome to Christian Life Church Podcast. Please subscribe to our channel. We're starting a new conversation today. Um, I think I just need to quantify it. We've got 15 minutes, so I'll do it as quickly as I can. I always think that when, um, when you hear some teaching on something, you should always seek to apply it. Do you think that's a fair, reasonable thing to expect? And yet, for the most part, in all of our lives, including mine, we seem to be a collector of information. We seem to have an obsession with gathering pieces of information. It's a startling fact that you know more about the Bible than most Christians throughout history. You've got more access to it. You've got more teaching on it. I mean, all you have to do is turn on YouTube and there's a million opinions on every scripture. You can have whatever you ask, imagine, or Google. It's everywhere. There's information everywhere. And yet, for some reason, the church seems to lack, I think, the power of God amongst his people. And I can only put that down to um, perhaps an incapacity on some of our behalves to not make the word flesh in us, to not apply what God is saying to us. Now, last month we did this series on, I think we entitled it Beyond Me. And I don't know about you, but I like living just for me. <laughs> In fact, my life would be simpler if you weren't here. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure that your life would be a lot easier if I wasn't here. Isn't that the truth? I, lots of people say to me, I like Jesus, I'm just not sure about the church. But sometimes it feels for people like an intrusion or that we're getting in the way of something. But actually, the reason the church exists is so that we can live out what we learn to be true about Jesus. And we get to practice it on each other. That's why we're so dysfunctional, I think. <laughs> to practice it on each other before we take it to our world. And so, unless the word becomes something that I do, as opposed to something I just believe, there does, there's no power in it. It's just a set of ideas or thoughts or wild notions. And, you know, I think the best example I can give you of that reality, and um, I remember in Birkenhead, Jane and I were youth pastors there, and our flat that we lived in was attached to the church building. Talk about being available for everybody 24-7. But, you know, I was non young, naive, and slightly insane. And so people would turn up at our house at 4 in the morning. People would come at 11 at night. And um, I, re I remember one Saturday morning, we had this tiny little, do you remember it? This tiny little backyard. It was like you could, couldn't swing two cats in it, but maybe one would go around once. And uh, we're sitting in it. And I can hear this guy shouting at the top of his voice. And um, he's shouting and um, he's saying all kinds of terrible things about the church. Just a normal day in Birkenhead, I suppose. Um, and, and one of the things that struck me, he said this little sentence. He says, who do you people think you are? Even the devil quotes scripture. And, and as, as he said it, I thought, wow. He may not be fully corpus mentis, but he's actually very insightful. You know, Jesus didn't die to give you a set of rules to live by or things to recite. Jesus died so that the life that he provided for you would become a reality in you, that you would live the way he lived. 
that you would act the way he acted, that you would love the way he loved, that your compassion would exemplify his compassion, that mercy would be more than a word, it would be some kind of thing that turned up in your family or in your community. Jesus didn't die to give you good theology. That was never God's intention. Good theology is good, it's a, it's a starting point. But Jesus died that you may have life. And if we don't take what we learn and apply it to our lives, what happens, I think, and this is the sadness, is that we slowly die. We slowly die. Hope slowly dies. And, um, and that cannot be permissible to those who belong to Christ. So with all that in mind, we thought we would just move to action after our responses to information. And uh, I want to talk to you about this. This is something that I came across a few years ago. Um, and when I was out in France recently, thank you for praying for me and, and allowing us to go there. It was me, actually. I say us because we go everywhere together, the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, and me. <laughs> but, the, but, the, but the reality was uh, the church was um, trying to help mobilize their congregation to mission. And um, I, I remember, you remember that wonderful project I did within a few months of being here leading others to life? How many people got led to life by us? So how do we take this notion that we are called to live beyond ourselves and practically work it out? Well, I think this might help us if we have time to pay attention to it. Got two slides, or is there one up on the screen? Ah, it's only one on the screen. I can see two. I think for all of us, the challenge that we face, and we don't probably consciously face it, is we're not living any longer in a Christian world. Have you noticed that? I, I had a few days off sick this week, and I must confess that in my sick bed, I found TikTok quite rewarding. <laughs> but you know what really started to disturb me? is how angry people are. Everyone is so angry about something. Have you noticed that? And so the problem with TikTok is got a thing called an algorithm. So if you pause longer than a second, you get another angry person coming up on the feed. And so without realizing it, in my sickbed I was listening to people ranting about all kinds of things, and um, I'm not even sure really why some people are angry. I think there's an epidemic of anger in our world. The, the other thing that kind of came up is this whole kind of woke culture that exists in our world. And you know, there's people speaking for it, and there's people speaking against it, and then everyone's arguing over whether it is or is, isn't right, and you know, and I'm not bright enough to know what's right and what's wrong. That's a lie, I am. But as I listen to it, I think, God, anarchy is everywhere. It's just everywhere. There's division everywhere. It's everywhere. You can't, you can't pretend, if you live in the real world, that we are not a divided people. In just about every which way possible, society becomes more and more segregated. And everybody's right. <laughs> well, so they think. And so consequently, you've got this tension and this conflict. 
I think the Bible uses a much better word for it. I think it's called strife. And strife exists amongst human beings right now at a level and in a measure that we have never seen before. And so not only are we not a Christian world anymore, not only do we not live in a Christian country, I don't know if you saw the news this week, but Sharia law trumped actual British law at some point in the city this week. We're fastly being invaded by all kinds of of systems and, and, and thought processes that are in, in many ways being permissioned by the lack, the lack of strength and conviction the church has about the truth. Remember we started this by saying that truth has to be more than just a concept. And so whether we wanted it to happen or not, the LGBTQI plus many other additives has an agenda that is permeating every part of society. The woke agenda is permeating every part of society. The racism problem is increasing, not decreasing. And just because people are talking about it doesn't mean it's not happening. It's actually happening. And when you listen to people talk to each other the way I've listened to people talk to each other this week, I am horrified that one human being could think that about another human being all because of skin color. I find it a heinous crime to humanity that we have such a blind spot. And right in the middle of all of that, (laughs) we have a mission. We have been asked by God to be good news to our community. Right in the middle of all of that anarchy, in the middle of all of that disarray, the church has this opportunity to offer an alternative reality. Truth, if you like, freedom, most assuredly, and a peace that surpasses all understanding. We've been asked and commissioned and equipped by God to do just that. But the problem is, I think we feel so intimidated by all of this, so paralyzed by all of this, that we're not really taking our mission seriously. And so I believe we can't pretend any longer that the effects of our world are invading in many ways even some of the ethoses and practices of our churches. And instead of it being the other way around where we are salt and light, our culture is influencing our choices. And um, I don't know how you feel about that, but if it doesn't come in the scriptures, it can't be God. Okay? It has to come from the word of God. And, And this is our challenge And it's a challenge I think we face every day, whether we want to face it, admit it or not. We have been called by God to live beyond ourselves. And living beyond ourselves for the Christian looks like this. And Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. How many times have you or I heard that scripture in church? How many times have we heard people preach on that scripture in church? But let me just highlight a couple of things on it before we go to some other little points which are going to be the bulk of our series. And Jesus said to them, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. I think one of the greatest things that we could ever embrace and grapple with and seek to understand is the authority that God has placed in the care of his church. We somehow have not realized that his kingdom is subjected 
to us utilizing that authority for good. And so we have these wild notions that revival will change a city. We have these glorious kind of expressions that God somehow, by a move of his spirit, will reform society. But there is not one account in the whole of scriptures where that has ever taken place because God has chosen an alternative route. And while we're all wishful thinking that the city will change or praying that some of this anger will subside or asking God to bring justice where there is injustice, the actual key to unlocking his kingdom authority is you and me. And without us understanding the huge responsibility and the immense privilege we have to be God's transforming agents here on earth, we will settle for a kind of Christianity that's about attending church and being compliant to whatever the leadership asks us to do. Do you know that you carry the authority to change nations? You actually carry that authority. Now, some of you struggle with that notion because you can't even make up your mind about what you want when you go out for dinner. I get it. But you carry an authority like no other agency on the planet. The church has been given, look, not some authority, all authority. And for us to really grab hold of that, I think, is a current reality for the church because we have been left with the impression that we are powerless but he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Amen. Now we say amen, but we need to say, oh me, use me, God, to be able to facilitate that kind of reality. So when you walk into a room, you are not subjected to the culture of that environment. The truth is every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is God. That means there's a superior reality that comes from an individual who understands the authority that's been deposited them in them by God himself. Amen? So we have a journey. And we need to learn how to accept this truth and adopt this truth and move in the authority that Jesus Christ has given us. And we've seen some signs of that. The second thing is this word that troubles me greatly. Not as much as this microphone, but it troubles me greatly. It says, go, the authority can only be seen or demonstrated in the activity. So if you want to understand how the authority works, you have to be willing to go. And there's something about that momentum that releases the kingdom authority into contexts and situations. You know, we have stories here recently of people who have somehow felt led of the Spirit to go and pray for somebody. That was a going moment, and in the going moment, authority came. They bore witness to what was already existent, and they prayed, and something happened. So we want miracles to happen without our involvement. We want God to miraculously do things in our family without our investment. And unless we learn that we are a going people, this is a going concern, <laughs> okay, that the commission upon us is to go, not to sit, not to stay. We are called to be pioneers, not settlers. Unless we recognize that if we want to witness this authority in its goodness and its fullness, 
We have to activate it by investment and movement. We will sing about miracles and talk about things till the cows come home and we'll never see the reality of the power of God. And so living beyond ourselves, our last subject matter, has to turn up in this. This is what we're called to do. I believe that that goal is a commissioning to the church. And that commissioning demonstrates that God is a movement, not a monument. And he desires that his church be a river, not a reservoir. Now here's the problem. We've seen a little bit of the Holy Spirit movement recently. We want to build a dam and hold him. And this morning I refuse to hold him. He holds us. So we stop what we're doing and we say, God, what do you want to do? Because we get overly familiar with some things, thinking we understand the outcomes before we even know the invitation. Okay, and so we have to keep on deconstructing the reservoir dams that is, makes it all about me and my life and my feelings and my experiences of God. Do you know you have enough experiences of God to change your community already? What more do you need than what you already have? Nothing, except to activate it. So there's a commissioning and a call to go. And that commission is not to make converts. Nobody in this room can convert anybody. Do you remember those days where you tried to give your best theology to people? It used to start with a little sentence that I found heinous when I first became a Christian. I got accustomed to it. Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Not even what's your name, where do you live, how's your life? You know, are the kids okay? <laughs> but, you know, what we're, what we're thinking through, we'll think it through is we thought that theology would bring transformation. And I don't mean to be rude, but has it brought much transformation to you? You see, just because you know the right answer doesn't mean that it'll turn up in the way you expect it to. And I found whenever I started from that place trying to impart my great revelations to people of all that I've learned about the Bible, people said, so what? The other extreme, and it comes from a theology around Francis of Assisi, and he never said this anyway, he says, preach the gospel, and if necessary, use words. So we went from the extreme of telling everybody the truth to the extreme of saying nothing but living good lives. Well, people will see that Jesus is in me. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> you know, on a good day, maybe. <laughs> it's, it's a bit of a flawed plan. Because, <laughs> you know, if you get cut up by that car on a Tuesday on the way to work... They might see something else in you. And we got to this notion that if we just lived, lived good lives, that somehow it would speak to people. You see, the presumption is that people are watching. The presumption that people are actually interested in what you do with your life. And so we had this overexerted version of telling everybody all the truths we learned at whatever school we went to, washed in the blood of the Lamb, to this other passivity that says, I'll just be a good person and I live loving Jesus, to find that neither of those things worked. You know why they don't work? Because they're not this. You have to go. <laughs> you have to go. There's an activity necessary. And when Jesus is saying, 
you know, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I just want to let you know that actually in its original context, this does not mean what we do in a baptism service. What Jesus is saying, what you carry has the power to change every community. What you carry has the power to transform every city. The baptism is baptizing myriads of people in the power of the Holy Spirit. And we're settling, I think, for small demonstrations of that. So what do we do? How do we do it? I found this quite compelling this week as I was just mulling this over and praying about it, that Jesus eight times in the scriptures commands us to love our neighbor eight times. And um, I think he was so keen to ensure that we got this because he knew our default would be different. He attached it to another command to make sure that we never missed the point. And this command says, love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy mind and with all thy strength. Okay, and the outworking of this is that you love your neighbor. If I was to ask myself how much I love my neighbor, I couldn't say with any great honesty that I know any of them apart from you who were here this morning. On the left-hand side of me, Mike, what's that man's name? You've forgotten. Mike lived in this house for how long? Who's the guy on the left-hand side? Carl, yeah. He's got two teenage boys and a wife. I think they work from home because I don't see them go out. On my right-hand side is a Chinese family. I think they might be doctors. I think everybody who's Chinese is a doctor. What is he? A metallurgist. <laughs> Holy Mary. I have no idea. What, what's that? What's a metallurgist? And when I first moved to the house, <laughs> when I first came to the house, here's what my thought was. We're going to win everybody for Jesus. Let's win everybody for Jesus. And I got busy decorating. You know, I'm a pastor of a church. I don't know if anyone told you. I'm a pastor of this church. There's a few things to take care of. I think I've spoken to my neighbors on the left-hand side three times. And I've spoken to the people on the right-hand side one time. And that was because she asked us, um, if the alarm went off, could we ring this number when they're on holiday? <laughs> so it was a really deep spiritual conversation. <laughs> so I'm, I'm confessing to you, you know, I'm not one of those people that go on airplanes and need 300 people in every seat to Jesus. I find this a struggle. I find time a struggle. I find the investment it's needed a struggle. I find having the desire a struggle. Hello? Okay, so I've been asking God, what can we do about it? And um, this, this is the little thing, and we're going to close with this, that God gave me. This is how this should look. The first thing we need to do is pray. Do you pray for your neighbors? No, I'm not talking at Christmas and Easter. I mean, on a daily basis, do you seek God's heart for your neighbor or your work colleague or your family member? And um, nothing will change unless you pray. 
And here's why prayer is so important. It softens their heart, but it also awakens your heart. Prayer has a twofold effect. You see, when we pray, we're not trying to persuade God to do something he wants to do. When we pray, God is preparing us for what he wants to do through our lives. And I've noticed that when I pray for people, I start caring about those people. I've noticed when I pray for people, God speaks to me about those people. Nothing's going to happen unless I pray. And, you know, while this picture looks like you're touching your neighbor on the shoulder as they're bringing the bin out on a Tuesday morning, that's not really what is intended. But privately, secretly, and regularly, I would suggest that you pray for your neighbor or your work colleague. Second thing, I think you should learn to listen. Have you noticed, and I'm guilty of this more than most, we've got an awful lot to say. Have you noticed that? An awful lot to say. But I also think we've got an awful lot to learn. Listen to people. And I mean listen. I don't mean tolerate what they're saying. Listen beyond what they say with their mouths to what's happening in their hearts. When we come to this one and we're going to open this up, we're going to look at a whole concept called soul talk. And soul talk is where a spirit in one person meets with the spirit in another person and they connect on a supernatural level. I'm talking about that when I say listen. We're listening to God. We're listening to what's happening in this person's life. We're listening not to their complaint, but why that complaint exists. We're going a bit deeper. We're learning to listen well. Why? So we can pray more effectively. Amen? What about this one? Eat together. Now the church loves food. I think next to Jesus, it's probably our favorite thing. Would you say? Just about anywhere and everywhere, there is food. And do you know what's interesting about Jesus' strategy? He led more people into relationship with him over a meal than you would ever imagine he did. Something about eating with people that levels the ground. And particularly in Jewish culture, the most important people would have to sit in certain places, and people who were not important weren't allowed to come. And Jesus just takes the flow from under that ideology and he says, everyone's welcome at the table of God. It doesn't matter whether you're a prostitute or a priest. Come, taste and see that the Lord is good. Something about eating together. Serve your community. I was really indignant yesterday. I'd had a busy, and I've been poorly for a few days and I was tired, I said to Jane, I'm gonna go back to bed in the afternoon. And then the music began. And in the park, just around the corner from where we live, there was some kind of Indian festival taking place. I think it might have been Diwali or something, because they were covered in, what's the one where they're covered in paint? Holy. Okay. And so, you know when you're lying in your bed and you're thinking, stop? I looked out one window to make sure it wasn't the man next door, the neighbor I love and want to lead to Jesus. Okay. <laughs> okay. Or the people who are metallologists or whatever that was that you said on the other side. Because I was looking for a fight. <laughs> How dare they disrupt my sleep. And then I realized it was coming from the park. And when I looked out the window and saw how many of them were of them, I thought, I'm not going to say a word. I'll just nod as we pass. But you know, I, I never give up on, on something like that, so we drove past and gave them a mean look. 
So I want my community to come to Jesus. <laughs> but I have a few issues with serving them. I have to learn to do that. And finally, share our story. So over these next number of weeks, we're going to take each of these titles and just look a little bit deeper into how we as God's agents of transformation, given authority and power to change his world into what he intended it to be before all the chaos started. And these five simple things will actually give you some tools to be able to work with if indeed you have a passion to see some people come to know Jesus in this coming few months. Across the world, <laughs> there is a move of the Spirit where many people are coming to faith in Christ Jesus. And this may seem like it's slightly ajar from our normal conversations, but I think it's preparation for a harvest that I believe with all my heart we're going to see God bring. So may God bless you. May he cause his face to shine you upon you. May he delight in you all the days of your life. And may you get outrun, hunted down by goodness and mercy, slapped in the face by grace. Amen. Have a great week, church.